What's up, Jabronis? Welcome back to Two on Five Podcast, your one-stop shop for all your top five lists. I'm Drake. I'm Brett. And we are here today with a very special couple of announcements. Um, you guys know right now that the world is shit. Uh, things are all sorts of turned upside down, and most of us are stuck inside. So, and if you're not stuck inside, you should be. So we want to release our very first multi-episode series. Um, and this particular series, we are going to cover our top video games through console generation. So we're going to start with 8-bit and then move on to 16-bit and you know so on and so forth. But that's not all. No, no, it is not all. We are super pumped to bring on another guest. Uh, we... We're kicking around doing a video game podcast, and there was only one guy that we could bring on, uh, probably the biggest video game fan we know, and his name is Brian Pasca. He's here with us. Hey, Brian, what's up? What is going on, guys? I have been I've been practicing my entire life for just this moment. I am ready. I got this. I feel like the three of us have been practicing for this for a solid 15 years together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've I've spent a lot of money, um, both in games and broken controllers against you guys. I feel like, I feel like we can we can knock this out of the park. So our first episode, the one you are listening to now, is going to be dedicated to the eight bit generation. There were technically a couple different consoles then. Uh, Sega released the Sega Master System, which I think twelve people in North America bought, and uh, then there was the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. This was the system that brought video games back after the Atari crash. We're just going to start from there. Um, my number five is a Mario game. Uh, pretty ubiquitous to the system, but it is probably not one that others would pick. I picked Super Mario Brothers 2. Um, I just This game always stuck out to me just because it is so different than the other Mario games. It came out in 88, and it was not even supposed to be a Mario game originally. It was called Doki Doki Panic. Um, Nintendo was was developing Mario 2, and it came out, and it was too hard. And they didn't, and they were literally worried about the North American market because it had just crashed. So they reskinned Doki Doki Panic, brought it out. It's a big pile of weird... Um, well, I mean, you know, like you don't jump <laughs> on enemies to kill them. You have to actually hurt them. There's four different characters to pick from. There's no multiplayer. It's just weird. You got to hit them with a turnip. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I will say one of my favorite things about Mario Brothers 2, like even though it was, like you said, it's Doki Doki Panic and it was reskinned to look like a Mario game. And it was actually uh, later released in Japan as mario brothers usa you know because it was just too hard for us but some of the characters in that kind of became staples like you've got shy guy that pops up in some of the sports games and um mario kart birdo is in tennis and been in some of the other sports games too but yeah it's kind of cool how they just i don't know i guess they kind of just absorbed that other game after it came out because it was such a hit well and the other part of that too not only the enemies that we encounter but the avatars you know, Luigi has his own personality and play style. Toad has his own mm -hmm. personality and play style. Same with Peach. I mean, Peach could jump halfway across the map and just glide. 
And so I really feel like that was our first introduction to actual personalities um, and differences amongst the playable characters versus, you know, the first Super Mario Brothers. Not just red and blue (laughs) or red and green. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, my number five, um, you guys have covered it on here before, just being big sports video game fans. I couldn't make a list without throwing some Tecmo Super Bowl in there. And, uh, you know, I, I actually, when I was younger, I'd play Tecmo Bowl with my brother. And that was like two run, two pass plays. And I hated it. And it wasn't up until probably five years ago that one of my buddies, uh, he was actually playing tournament Tecmo Super Bowl. Um, he invited me because he wanted some live fire. Came, went over there and I started playing it. And like once once you get into it, it it's actually, a for the time, it's an incredibly deep sports sim, especially when you're playing against live people. There's so much you can do. There's like the, there's so many different stats that all matter um, different ways. So, I, I mean... I've put a lot of hours into that. I kind of wish I would have played it more when I was younger, but I have a newfound appreciation and it moved up the ranks for me pretty quick. I love that game. Well, and we can't talk about Tecmo Super Bowl without talking about Bo Jackson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that was a a moment for sports video games (laughs) where, you know, it, it wasn't just a bunch of different colored checker pieces, essentially, you know, like mm-hmm. video bow had his own personality, had his own ability, um, and became the stuff of legends because of this game. Oh and, yeah. I mean, this Tecmo bowl is fine, you know, to introduce a kid to, or, you know, to introduce somebody to, I understand that, you know, the, there were limitations with the system, but Tecmo super bowl was just head and shoulders above any other kind of sports game on the NES. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I just feel like with that game, there were, there was always like at least one player that like just kind of dominated per team. And I mean, Bo Jackson is his own thing. He dominated the whole fucking game, but like, you know, I'm gonna play the chiefs. So you're going to, you are going to get sick of Christian Okoye or, mm-hmm. you know, like yep. stuff yep. like that. And it, it was just, I felt like that, that was a game that like, while it could get super deep and I, and I, I'm going to tell you, I never approached getting super deep with it. I still had a lot of fun with it and it was, you know, like very surface level. And I think that Mm -hmm. that was one of the reasons why it's so well loved even now. And I, I still think it's pretty amazing for a game that's going on 30 years old now. Yeah. 30 years old. The, 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 the online scene, because somebody has modded it and they are, there are, there are, tons of different leagues there's um there's ones where they use modern day rosters there's ones where it's like pick your own opponents and it's just huge online communities that still play and keep that alive and then you know if you're lucky enough to live mostly in the midwest or up north you'll find actual live tournaments which are just a a different uh it's a different type of breed of person that goes there and plays in those you different type of competitor too holy moly you know, this was the probably the only sports game on NES that I can think of that actually took skill when playing head-to-head opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the other ones are based on luck or random generated events um, or, you know, just guessing the right play against your opponent. And, you know, this is one that really took a, a level of patience and, you know, trying to outsmart your opponent. 
And so, I mean, I, I feel like that laid the groundwork for every sports game that came after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my number five um, is technically a sport too, I guess. Um, my number five is duck hunt. And it may seem silly, but this game is important to me because this was the game, you know, that came typically packaged with Super Mario Brothers in the same cartridge uh, and incorporated the light gun, the zapper uh, to your system. And this was the first game that my parents and my grandparents were willing to sit down and play with me. You know, this was one that was... And we'll talk about it over these episodes time and time again. Nintendo does a great job of incorporating the entire family into uh, their games. And this was one that parents and and adults felt was accessible to them and they could sit down and play with their kids more so than, you know, maybe Mario Brothers or, you know, anything else out there. And so I I feel like it, it deserves recognition because it was that opening of the door for Nintendo to to get the entire family involved oh yeah like and let's be honest we all tried to shoot the dog oh well oh obviously. yeah yeah hey, you laughing at me yeah well um <laughs> I, I really like that the light gun thing that was that was a really cool uh pack in and it was a way to really like you said expand the player base um my sister who you know she's like two and a half years younger than me we were you know we were kids but she was really little when we first got our nes and the only game she could do was Duck Hunt, and she would be, like, right up at the screen, you know, basically touching it and shooting. And, you know, she was, like, four. It didn't matter. And also my dad would play. Like you said, it was just it, – it was just – it. there's no better illustration of Nintendo's, you know, philosophy of getting the entire family to play together. I think it. I think it started early, but man, Nintendo loves their peripheral like devices. Oh man, you know that's yeah. the. You know that was the first, the very first system they launched comes with this extra gun that I mean, really, for the time, pretty cool. It and then you know obviously they you throughout every iteration of every system you've had these different devices that are just kind of weird, little bonkers, but they always seem to work. Mm-hmm. With with the exception of maybe the like super scope, I don't think anybody had one of those. But yeah, it, it's they uh <laughs> they they're always trying new stuff, and I think that's one of the things that keeps Nintendo like fresh in people's minds and you know top of the conversation. I actually did have a friend who had a super scope, but like he was a kid, a child of divorce, so like he, you know, like I like. <laughs> I mean, Dad he, loves he you more, just, Junior. He was just really good at playing those parents off each other, and like I'm pretty sure because he got the Super Nintendo, and like he had like a super scope and like Zelda all at once, and that was right after his mom got remarried. And I'm like, wow, we know we know how that mom's m- mom's friend Jim got this for me. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to my number four, um, my number four is Tetris. And this is another one that was super accessible. You know, everybody can play. And also the fun thing about Tetris is that it looks incredibly simple when you start it. And that was a, a good way to suck people in and play this puzzle game. But as the game advances, it, becomes incredibly difficult and incredibly addicting 
you know, you, you want to play more, you want to, uh, try to up your skill level and it's one that you can pick up and play immediately. You know, anybody in the house can play and you can walk away from it at any time too. Um, and so I, I feel like it was a good example again of Nintendo taking a concept and just making it work. Like it didn't have to be super pretty. It didn't have to be super advanced. It was just a simple concept that they perfected. And, you know, this game took the world by storm. I mean, I just watched ESPN reran the Ocho last weekend and I watched the world Tetris championships from this last year. And it was insane to watch people's fingers work and, and twist the Tetris pieces around. I tried to pay, play it a couple of days ago and I felt like I had three fingers total that I was working with. Like I, I couldn't, once it sped up, I just went dumb. Um, and, and so this is one of those games that you just, you never beat. You, you're never going to beat it. And uh, so it's always going to have some playability for you. Well, high level Tetris is its own fucking game. Like it is like they're, they're oh, not playing the same game we are. And uh if you have a switch right now, uh, Tetris 99 will teach you very quickly that you are not playing the same game as a lot of people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Tetris is, Tetris is just very cool. There's just, and there's been so many different like variations on that theme, like uh, Tetris 99, which brought battle Royale to Tetris, which is hilarious and works way better than you'd think. Um, there's, you know, all the, like uh, the, what the Tetris street fighter stuff where like, Mm-hmm. uh you have like the more lines you do the better your fighter is doing and all that uh the 64 had that tetrasphere game uh which made it a, like a a, spe- a a ball and you had to rotate it which was oh, really yeah. interesting but yeah i mean old school you know 8-bit tetris like i actually don't remember playing this much on the nintendo uh this was definitely a game boy thing in my in my house mm-hmm. and, the, and like sure. that was like if i didn't know where my game boy was my mom had it because she was playing Tetris, you know? So Tetris, it's great. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I guess on to my number four, uh, my number four, you guys know me, you guys know, know my love of RPGs, but I couldn't make a list without final fantasy. Um, and it was, it was tough for me because there, there are some good JRPGs on the NES, but dragon quest or warrior for localized people. Uh, but but Final Fantasy for whatever reason just grabbed me more. Um, I don't know what I don't know what it is. The, the grind maybe there's a lot of grind in that. that, that, that just, is the game. You spend you spend a lot of time with it. But you know, Final Fantasy is obviously one of the best selling franchises of all time now. But it all started on the NES and um, I it's called it was originally supposed to be called like Fighter Fantasy I think, but um, they had problems with the trademark. So they named it Final Fantasy because it was supposed to be Sakaguchi, the 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 guy that's kind of headed um, Final Fantasy or did head it for quite a while. Um, it was supposed to be his last project. Basically, he went in and he said, "I want to make an RPG," and they gave him a staff of like three people. And he's like, "Cool." <laughs> so he uh, he went ahead, he forged forward, and then once um, Dragon Warrior had success over here in America. They gave him a little bit more staff, and he was actually able to put out his game. And you know, it it brought Square, um, which turned into SquareSoft, which turned into Square Enix. It brought Square out of the out of the rubble. I mean, they were on their last legs too. And 
so this this one jrpg done the right way um you know saved saved this little company that turned into i mean square enix produces everything now i mean they they do everything so you know it, and not only that but man some of that music in the final fantasy series and you know I, I'm going to be here for a couple episodes. This isn't going to be the last you hear about it, but like Nobu Matsu did the music for one. He did the music all the way up till 10. And some of the music that they, that they have done, it, it sticks with me. And you know, part of that's nostalgia. Part of it's, it's just damn good. There's not one person that can't tell you that victory riff from final fantasy. Everybody's got that in their head, but I think the thing that's so interesting about uh, final fantasy, especially the first one is just how tropey it is. I mean, mm-hmm. oh, like, yeah. like they don't even really have names. They are the warriors of nope. light, but like it is like fighter and white mage and black yep. mage. And, yep. you know, like it's interesting looking back, like for where that game is to where it's become like there's like, like mm-hmm. you said, grindy and there's not much of a story to it. And I mean, that, that was fine. Like that was what it was at the time. And it's just. I think it's. I think Final Fantasy One is kind of a rough play at this point. I get why it's on your list, and I'm not disagreeing. I think I just think if you try and boot it up now, it's kind of a rough go. But it's super interesting to compare it to like where we're at now, with like the last couple Final Fantasies and like the Seven remake that's mm-hmm. coming and everything. It's just like this turned into this somehow. I also I also appreciated that you know it gave you a little bit of flexibility. Uh, in your party you know you can throw four fighters in there good luck i mean you can <laughs> right. uh, but like it kind of the and i think the first time i started it, i'm pretty sure i started with like three fighters and a white mage or something and you know you get halfway through the game and you're like great <laughs> starting over <laughs> but awesome. like i i don't know it, it taught you that there were consequences for your actions but really i i i think that's the first game i can remember where you got to you, you know, you weren't, this wasn't your character. Go. It was, what do you want it to be? It's, it was a little bit of what, what's your flavor? And I, I always, I, I like that. I, I think too, the one sprite in particular, but these sprites have lived forever, but like the black mage sprite is something that has been recognizable from mm-hmm. the very first game. Uh, you know, he's kind of turned into a mascot for square um, along with the, you know, the Moogles and and the Muggles and the, you know. But anyways, whatever the fuck his name is, the little white. No, you're right. Porky pig. Lo- it's a Moogle. The little white Porky pig looking fairy. Yeah. Um, Moogle. Yeah. But the other thing, too, that yeah. All right. is special about this game is the ability to save. Mm hmm. You know, which was something a lot of NES titles didn't have and didn't have the capability for. And so, you know, this wasn't like a password situation. You you were able to, you know, boot up your game. And that was something that was pretty special for 8-bit cartridges. A little bit of a double-edged sword there because, man, those, those uh, save functions on some of those cartridges were notoriously bad for giving out. So it's like, I got 40 hours into this game. You... you you didn't accidentally you accidentally went for the hard power instead of holding reset and hey it's gone starting over again cool (laughs) and it's gone (laughs) all right well um my number four is ducktales uh it came out in 89 so you know i was like seven or eight 
Um, basically, it's a 2D side-scroller, and it's just one of the tightest games I've ever played. Like, the controls are just so spot-on. Um, and I actually was looking it up a little bit, and this was the top-selling game on NES and Game Boy for Capcom. Which is wild when you think about the fact that they make Mega Man. Mega Man. You know? <laughs> uh, um, the other cool things about it, um, it's a platformer, but it's non-linear. You get to pick the stage you go to, which is pretty neat. It actually had three different endings, which I did not know. I only ever got the, not the bad ending, but like the norm, the normie ending. Because the good ending, you have to like win and have like 10 million bucks in the bank or whatever and shit i never got that um not gonna happen but it was but um uh, apparently a lot of the actual Mega Man team worked on this which i feel like you can tell um Mm -hmm. i just think it's really fun the music's really good the art's still pretty good the sprites are neat uh the remake they did a few years ago no thank you i don't need that but the you know old school ducktales freaking love it I never really thought about the fact that this is basically Mega Man with a different skin. It's Mega Man with a pogo stick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's great, though. No, and that's part of how good Capcom is, too, to be able to take something. And let's not bullshit ourselves. DuckTales was hot in 1989. Like, this was going to sell even if it was a bad game, but it was solid. And so I think that's part of why we remember it is not only was it a, a thing we all dug as children, but it was actually fun to play. That, I remember the advertising push for that being nuts, like every magazine I ever opened. Like, I mean, we got Nintendo Power, obviously, but on top, like just everywhere, everywhere you would see the push for it. And I mean, like you said, top selling game for the NES. Yeah. just Or for Capcom. Yeah. Just, just wild, though. Um. Anyway, my number, we're going to keep moving. My number three is a game called Maniac Mansion. Um, this is a point-and-click adventure game, and it was made by uh, Lucasfilm Games. So when it was developed, LucasArts was not was still called Lucasfilm Games, which I think was interesting. Uh, basically, the two guys who made it, they love B-horror movies, and they created a whole new system for it. Um, basically, you it you say what you want to do and then there's a they have like 12 different commands and then you click on what you click the command then you click what you want it to do and it would tell you if you could do it or not um it came out in like basically three years after it came out because this was a pc game first is when it came out on the nes and they had to rework a lot of the content because and this will be a theme i feel like as we go through um, these generations, uh, Nintendo had problems with the content. They wanted it to be more family-friendly. So they had to rework it. Um, There were six characters you could pick from, and it's just, it's really funny and really well-written. Like, this was the basis. It ended up becoming a TV show for, like, three years. I can remember being in elementary school and like literally talking to my other dork friend who loved this game and we'd be like, how did you get the rusty key? Oh, well you have to knock the chandelier down. How did you do that? And like, this is recess. Like we could be, you know, being social, <laughs> but nope, we're talking about this nonsense. And like, it was just, this game just meant a lot to me as a kid. And it's a weird game for a kid to love, but I did. So it is a weird game for a kid to love. Um, 
I remember playing this on PC and remembering that at times it felt hard and boring. And so like, I, I never picked up the, uh, cartridge version version of it. I just, and so this is really more, uh, I'm hearing more about maniac mansion now than I ever did 30 years ago. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I don't have a lot of, a lot to give on this one. Like I think I, there were so many of those kind of like point and click and really, um, I, I guess cumbersome games on the NES. And I, I'm sure that I've booted this one up before and was just like, Oh nope, without really understanding anything else about it. So it might have to be one that I revisit at some point, but well, one thing that I did that, um, I really appreciate about this game is like, unlike a lot of adventure games, the point and click stuff at the time, like, the one thing that they really tried to do was not make it uh, almost unfair in a way that you wouldn't know. Like uh, Sierra, mm. um, Sierra was notorious for this. Like mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, I'm yeah. gonna walk in this room and I'll pick that up, and then you're just dead. And they and they were very and the, the development team for this was very much like, no, we don't do that, which I which I do appreciate. Um, oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a, I don't, again, I I love this game, and I apparently am the only one. So let's just. Let's move on. <laughs> One to revisit. Um, my number three, uh, it's Mega Man 2. I, I think all said and done, I'm not sure there's a game I've spent more time with than Mega Man 2. It was one of the few like cartridges that we actually owned. You didn't have to like borrow from a friend and then the mom writes, you know, Sharpie on the back of it and <laughs> Josh's cartridge. <laughs> no, like we, we own this one and it was just it's a smooth game. It's just a, it's a smooth game, and obviously it follows the Mega Man format. Beat the eight guys, go fight Wily, but you kind of you can nonlinear, like you said before. You can choose where you want to start and where you finish, but there is a normal progression once you get once you get that memorized. Man, you can breeze through those games, but I just I think it's just it, as far as platforming goes on the NES. I mean, there's a lot of good options, but this one's right up there with with some of the you know. With your with your Mario's and what did they release? Eight Mega Man's, I think, on the NES too. Mm, yeah, a lot. I mean, they just kept selling. People were buying them. A lot. Oh yeah, but oh, and a great soundtrack to boot. Man, I love that soundtrack. Um, like the one thing about Mega Man Two, especially this was the one that that they put the slide in, right? Uh, no, that was three. Okay, I don't. You can't slide on two yet. The other thing I'll say is the box art for Mega Man Two is so much worse than the box art for Mega Man 1. It's... <laughs> what, you don't like purple on purple? Uh, yeah. That's, that's all. Um, also, I would, the, my one confession is I thought it was Dr. Willy for way too long. Dr. Willy. I don't know why. Well, I mean, like, nobody I knew, like, growing up really played a whole lot of Mega Man, so I didn't have anybody to talk about it with. And even then who's going to say who's right at that point? You know, there's no, there's nothing to, there was nothing to like prove that anybody was right or wrong. It was just like, it was W I L Y Willie, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Willie. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure Sega CD made a game featuring Dr. Willie, but that's a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. With Mega Man, this is one of the games that made your subscription to Nintendo power worth it. You know, this was a game that would, uh, especially Mega Man 2, you know, Nintendo Power was ready. Like, here's the maps. Here's the order. 
you know, here's the things you need to get through it. Because if you don't follow that order, you pay a price. And so I, I feel like this is one of the games early on that made your Nintendo Power subscription really worth it. Uh, moving on to my number three, it's one we've already touched on, so I'm going to breeze through it, but it's Tecmo Super Bowl. I uh, loved this game growing up, loved being able to rock people with Bo Jackson to the point where we had to have house rules where nobody could be the Raiders. <laughs> no Bo. Yeah, it basically, you know, take him out of the game and it was still fun. Uh, you know, I remember playing with the Cardinals and, you know, rock and roll Ricky Prohl screeching down the sideline for a touchdown. You know, Warren Moon being able to throw a pass 60 yards, uh, just rifle that thing. And so, yeah, it's it's a great game. Ended up number three on my list. Moving on to my number two. This is a game I, I struggled with where to put this on my list. Um, I love this game. It is Mike Tyson's punch out. Yes. Um, I have a lot of fond memories of this game, you know, trying to trying to work my way up the ranks, um, save, write down all the passwords so that you could reboot yourself back where you were. Um, Super fun mechanics, you know, easy to learn, but would take you a while to master. And also figuring out the rhythm of the fighters was a new challenge with every fighter. Um, This is a game that I struggled with for years. And then finally, when emulators became a thing and I could play it on PC, that's when I finally beat Tyson. And between the ability to play... Save state, save state, save state. Yep. Between (laughs) the ability to play on PC and use the directional arrows and have a save state where I could reload right back into the second round after I'd already whooped his ass in the first and, you know, finally beat it. And I was probably 25 at the time. And it was the best thing that happened to me that year. Uh, (laughs) You know, finally beating that game. Uh, I think I might have got engaged around the same time, but beating Tyson was my crowning achievement that year. Uh, So yeah, it's just, it was such a fun game. You know, having Mike Tyson's face on it was cool. You know, having at the time celebrity. Yeah. At the time, at the time, (laughs) it was a good face back then. Yeah. But you know, having that celebrity, you know, there was not a bigger boxer than Tyson and it was just a ton of fun. This was one of the games that didn't make my list, and it was like, it hurt a little bit when I hit delete. I'm like, oh, man, how's that not going to make the list? But, man, that game, that's another one that I just spent hours and hours and hours playing. And, like, yeah, it it hurt. Like, you got later on, and they beat the shit out of you. And it's like, oh, now I got to go back three fighters and fight Don Flamenco again for the second time. Come on. But, man, it, it... it was just, it was just a, it's just the ride is great. I, I will say one of my favorite things about Mike Tyson's punch out on the NES though is um, Soda Popinski. So in the act, in the game before they reskinned it for NES and made it Mike Tyson, um, it was v- like vodka Vondrinsky or something. Vodka, and he was too. just, yeah. yeah, he was just a, you know, obviously the joke's there. He's a Russian, he likes vodka. And that's funny. But then in the NES one, they made him soda Popinski, but they kept like all his little quips the same. So he's talking about how like he's going to have to get somebody to drive him home after he beats your ass. It's like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. He's not drunk. He's diabetic. 
Yeah, like, oh man, I, I don't really have too much to add to any of that. I, I always just, I love, I always love the variety of the fighters. I, I always just thought they were, mm-hmm. they were hilarious and just, it was just a- super stereotypes. Yeah, well, it, it was like, and like, right up on the line of disrespect, if that makes sense. Like, I don't feel like it's awful, but you're like, it probably couldn't be made today like that. But anyway, it was. Yeah. I just always just loved that game. It was a lot of fun. All right. Uh, I guess I'll do my number two then. My number two is it's Super Mario Brothers three. I mean, I don't know what you have to say about that game. Everybody's played it. I mean, everybody played it till their fingers hurt. It's just, it is. It's almost a perfect platformer. There's, there's always something new to see, you know, um, you run through a level and you don't notice it. And then the next time you're playing through it and you're on the same level and you have a P wing, you fly up in the sky and there's a whole nother world up there. You're like, well, okay. There's, there's so much to see and do in that game, which not normally what it's like when you're playing a platformer, but it's controls are tight. It's fun. Start to finish. I, I don't know what else there is to say. It's just, it's just as close to a perfect platformer as you can get. I am going to reserve comment for later. Yeah. Uh, I, I will have a little comment here and then I'll add a little comment later. Um, the thing about uh, Mario three is I, and I think you can uh, defend this. Like it, there, it might be the best of the 2d platforming Mario's. And I, and I really, I wouldn't argue with that. I'm not sure if I, if I, I mean, you go back and forth on that in Mario World, and like it's, but what they were able to squeeze out of that out of the NES with that game is pretty impressive. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, we'll just kind of keep it moving. Um, my number two is Dragon Warrior. Uh, Brian brought it up a little bit ago. This is the Americanized version of Dragon Quest that came to the United States. It's an RPG by Enix. Uh, it actually came out three years after. It came out in Japan, so it has noticeably better graphics, and they added a save system, and that's all really pretty interesting. It was a huge seller in Japan. It sold over 2 million copies, which for a Nintendo game was pretty big if it wasn't a pack-in. It obviously sold less than that in the United States, Um, and Nintendo actually had enough leftover cartridges they were trying to get rid of them, so if you subscribe to Nintendo Power, you got a free copy. And Hell yeah, I that's did. how I got my copy because my aunt subscribed me to Nintendo Power and gave me a video game, and she was obviously my favorite aunt for at least that year. Um, <laughs> I I I dig Dragon Warrior. Like it was my first exposure to RPGs. Like, and it was just like a JRPG is just so weird and so different than any other style of game, and so like. I was shocked when I'm just like walking around and then things are getting tougher and tougher. And then, Oh shit, there's a gold man. And like, <laughs> you know, it was, it was incredible. Uh, like, Oh, I can go in this cave and if I don't have a torch, I can still move around and get completely fucking lost. Hope I don't do that. You know, like it was, it was just a whole new style of gameplay. I've got that sound embedded in my head where you go in and you just bump, 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 going up against the wall. Mm-hmm. But I, 
I don't know if there were like I still remember like the sense of accomplishments a weird word but like like it was an accomplishment when like you go for the first time you go to that east part of the map and you you beat the green dragon and you rescue the princess and then you're like I did it and then like no that's like the first 10% of the game there's a lot more like oh okay it gets it gets harder good good <laughs> well like uh like going to like this one burnt out town and you have to go to like one special spot and do a search mm-hmm. search and you hope and then you find, Edric's the, armor? You find the armor like oh, oh yeah just, good stuff all right um so we're moving on my number one uh star tropics um this came out in good choice 90 and uh this was a this was a really big a big deal to me um because that some the summer that I got this game, I went, I was going up with my dad to work and he was paying me to like paint and do stuff at the plant. And like literally my first paycheck I got went and I went and bought Star Tropics. And so like, I just, it'll, it's always in my mind for that. Um, did a little research on it. This game actually only came out in North America and Europe. It was not released in Japan and it was developed by Nintendo. So that's weird. Um, but yeah, it's a 2D, uh, action adventure game, very reminiscent of Zelda. Uh, it's got an overworld and then you go into the actual levels. The story is bonkers. Like by the end of it, like, (laughs) I mean, you start off on this Island and then by the end of it, it's aliens and whatever, but, uh, I just really like it. They, um, the other, the other thing that stands out to me is. At one point in the game, you get a submarine, and to progress, you are supposed to enter this code. And what they wanted you to do was take out this piece of paper that was in the box and dip it in water, and then this code would appear. So if you didn't have that, you were boned. And like <laughs> mm-hmm. enough people like wrote into Nintendo Power, like Nintendo Power put it in the in the magazine. It was like, here's the code in case you don't have it, you know. Which copy protection? It's always been there, and it's stupid. Yeah, I, I, Star Tropics is another one that was right on the cusp of making my list. Like, I, I just I booted that up and played it maybe a week ago on the Switch because it on the Virtual Console you've got that's one of the options. It's still a good game. It's like you said, the story is you're not there for the story, you're there for the gameplay. But yeah, hey, you start with the yo-yo, and then there's gonna be a talking dolphin, and then you're gonna need a submarine code. But then there's aliens too. You're like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, you're really good as long at the as I yo-yo. Win, as long you're as I a win. Star pitcher. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> but oh yeah, great game. This might be the weirdest game on the list, uh, you know, without question. But the one thing I remember about this was how fast it was. You know, it, it felt like the pace moved at a at a much faster pace than like Super Mario Brothers. You know, there were times where you could take your time with Super Mario that I always felt like Star Tropics was pushing you towards the objective. Um, I think it's something that Battletoads adopted later, just in regards to tempo and making sure that things kept moving forward. And yeah, this is it's super kooky, super fun. Good pick. Uh, my number one is Legend of Zelda. Um once again, it's just it's one of those it's one of those Nintendo games that like what what do you have to say about it? Everybody's played it. Everybody knows it. If you play games, you know Legend of Zelda. 
but um, that very first one, just the the scope of the world, um, really grabbed me. I mean, and there's not there's not a lot of direction. It's it's you know there are certain areas that you'll be walled off on until you get the certain item from you know level three, level four, whatever. But the scope of the world is so big, you can pretty much go wherever and you know, unfortunately, this is one of the times I kind of wish I didn't have the the Nintendo Power subscription because they're like, "This is where the heart containers are." You go and you get it, you get that stuff memorized and ingrained eventually. But I, I loved the scope of the world. I loved how big it felt. And then on top of that, once you beat the original game, you know, you you can input your uh, you input your name as Zelda, and you get the whole second world. And I, I don't, I don't, I can't remember another game that did that. So it offered just a crazy amount of replayability just because of how good of a game it was. But then they threw in an entire second world that basically just shuffled everything. I just, I love, I loved it. I love Legend of Zelda and that that's my number one by far. This ended up being a, uh, a console pack-in later, didn't it? That I couldn't tell you. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pretty certain that they ended up moving this to a console pack in um, after the first wave of uh, launch. You know, everybody got Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers together. Mm-hmm. But then when they put out another one, it was with Legend of Zelda. I, I remember this, you know, being in the case at uh, at my local department store. And so I, I felt like everybody had a copy of this game, even if adventure games weren't their thing everybody had a copy of legend of zelda and so i i think it's reach um two households you know other than mario zelda reached the next most households um you know where this really kind of laid the groundwork for everybody to get used to this world get used to these characters and you know we're still to this day getting high quality legend of zelda games yeah yeah um thing that i always thought was super interesting about the legend of zelda was first of all how early it was on the system and like it, it mm. took a lot of chances and risks that like nobody else did or could but uh you were you were talking about how like nintendo power would tell you where stuff was and i can remember the first few times i played it it was at my cousin's house and i had no fucking idea what to do like i would just wander (laughs) around until i inevitably got hit a few times and died because i didn't know what i was doing and Mm -hmm. then like he finally showed me a couple things and then what like once i had an idea of what the game was looking for like how to play the game it started to make more sense also we need to talk about it was a gold cartridge and that was fucking awesome yeah yeah like one of the yeah looked cool that's a- they only did that a couple times for for NES, and yeah, both Legend of Zelda's got the the nice gold cartridge, and yeah, it was slick. Yeah. So moving on to my number one, we touched on it earlier, but for me, the best NES game, eight bit game, was Super Mario Brothers three. Uh, Brian touched on it earlier that you know there were things that you would discover through multiple plays, you would discover an entire second half the the level that you didn't even know was there um you know obviously super mario 2 we touched on earlier was a big departure from 
the traditional Super Mario Brothers. And I feel like Super Mario 3 is equally as far away from Super Mario Brothers. You still have the same theme as the original Super Mario Brothers, but the way it's done, um, the extras that you get into, the things that you're able to do, I think really bookend, you know, what that console was for us. Super Mario Brothers 1 is, you know, the genesis of, of, no pun intended, but the genesis of console gaming for a lot of us. And Super Mario 3 was really the last good game that we played on NES, um, you know, until we graduated to the SNES or, you know, any other 16-bit system. So I, I feel like this one really demonstrated how far they had come and what possibilities were going to be out there for us for the next console. And so it's, to me, it's just, it's super special, uh, fun, creative, artsy, you know, there, there's these sprites, super Mario three sprites are pretty much what we still get to this day when it comes to, you know, pudgy Mario doing his thing. Um, you know, the Tanuki suit is something that we all know and love, you know, uh, the airship battles in every level were great. The ability to get a flute and skip levels was amazing. Uh, just so many good things about this game. And so it's always going to be my number one for the NES. Hell yeah. Uh, like, one thing that, uh, like, is, is wild. Like, I, re- I specifically remember, like, I think it was, like, Primetime Live had, a spe- had, like, a special on Mario 3. And, like, they actually, like, revealed how to get warp whistles on, on the yeah, news. Yeah, on the fucking news, guys. <laughs> like, I mean, like, video games at this point are bigger than they were back then. But, like, nobody is getting on Primetime Live or 2020 or something talking about how to, you know, get your best loadout in Call of Duty. Like, like... <laughs> wish they would sure but like that's wild and i mean there was a movie that was that like the end of the movie is them playing mario fucking three like mario three is (laughs) was so ubiquitous and so big Mm -hmm. like and it's it's been around for so long like i almost think that we don't even take seriously how good it really was like i mean like here's the thing i didn't put it on my list and that is not because i don't love it but like, that's in, in a way that's almost bananas that it's not on my list. Like it should be on everybody's list at at one or two, right? Like I mean, like there's no tighter game. But right, like it's it's an insane game, and like it just had an insane cultural footprint. And good pick, Drake. Good job. I I, I think one thing you got to say when you're when now you know we're you got all of the eight bit games that we've just discussed. Man, Miyamoto, I, that he he was eight bit. I mean, we're Legend of Zelda, um, that your Donkey Kongs, all of your Mario's. That was the dude that made all of this happen and kind of just brought gaming into the mainstream, into your into your living room. And oh man, that that can't that that dude was something. He is some. All right, well, that is the first of our video game episodes. We we're gonna keep doing this. We, we're gonna be st- still in lockdown for a long time, forever. So, 
Um, yeah, we're super excited to do this series. Uh, we're excited to keep graduating through the generations. Next, we're going to touch 16-bit systems. So we're going to be talking about the SNES and the Sega Genesis, um, especially. And, you know, we're going to keep growing through the years as we all did with these systems. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. We hope you guys take the time to listen to it while you're uh, doing things around your house. And we will talk to you soon. Peace. Take care, guys.